We're back at it. It's no driving gloves this fine, wonderful, generic day, time, etc. Derek and I here discussing the automotive hobby, changes of the automotive hobby. How are we doing this morning, Derek? I'm doing good. As always, we're not committing to anything. What day it is, what time it is, what topic we're going to do. That's just the way we roll at no driving gloves. Well, day and time are irrelevant because this is a podcast. You can listen to it whenever. It would be nice, probably go into the topic. But even when we come in with the topic, we deviate so much. We have about 18 different topics. That's part of the uh, thrill and excitement, the no driving glove, the glove gloves off approach to the automotive hobby. So you want to talk about cars, Ferrari, GTO, Bentley, CRX, and even down to your great-granddad's peerless. Welcome to No Driving Gloves, the Car Talk Authority, where experience, knowledge, and controversy share the same seat. Enjoy the ride. Now your hosts, John and Derek. Yeah, I was going to say, what a confusing hobby it is becoming. Oh, most definitely. It's it's become work to just keep up with the hobby, let alone the work that's involved to enjoy the hobby. So is it really a hobby? Well, maybe it's, maybe it's supposed to be a hobby. <laughs> Some people, it's a career, but it's a career to keep up with. The, I mean, everything changing and people buying things, shows changing names and the Brinks trucks that keep backing up to these events and that and just shoveling money out by the wheelbarrow. It's challenging to look in from the outside. I had this conversation with somebody and all they see are all these news reports of somebody buying somebody, controversy over EV, and every damn car is 10 plus million dollars. And the question, how do you afford it? I mean, even new cars, the average new car is 49,000 and change now. The average salary isn't even $49,000. I remember growing up and the rule was when you bought a house, a house was two and a half times your salary. That's what you could afford. If you're making 35, 40 grand a year, just 40 grand a year is 20 bucks an hour. That means you can afford a house that's $100,000. I haven't seen a $100,000 house that didn't require $100,000 of work in a Mm -hmm. long, long time. Exactly. Well, and when, you know, when there's in, in the automotive hobby, when there's a burnt out shell of a car that sells for, was it 1.7 million this earlier this week? 1.7 or 1.8. Yeah. Uh, which clearly the only thing usable of that car is the VIN number, the serial number. And I think they said the engine might be okay. <laughs> well, it came with the the what shell. We, yeah, but what the engine? What world do we live in? Because there's no way the sheet metal, the body of that car, is not restored. There might be a piece or two, but that was. And, and I get that it's a significant car with a significant history, but that's another. That's going to be a. You're going to sink. What do you think, John? Uh, Half million. I was going to say half to three quarter million into the restoration of that. I was trying to be a little conservative on that, but it would be a half to three, you know, three quarters. I mean, figure you got to build a whole new body and look at look at the stuff Will does. He's taking a, a usable car normally and modifying every panel on it. And, you know, he's into upper six figures on the stuff he's doing. And the thing is with this, this car, it's a Ferrari Mondial, like referring to 50, but there is, like you said, that you are going to have to reconstruct every single piece of this. You're going to have to make the uprights. You're going to have to make you know, trailing arms. You're going to have to make the chassis. You're going to have to. Granted, there's patterns out there, but you're still going to have to make this stuff. And I'm trying to think. I can't give exact numbers, but I know of a race car that was basically built kind of like that. I mean, the tub was in. But during the restoration, it was found they could go ahead and build a replica at the same time and not really increase the cost of the restoration. And I think that car was still in the mid six figures, 
20 plus years ago. It's a 54. 1950 up, so we'd get the exact year. 500 Mondial Spider. But here's, here's, that's another good point, John. And it goes to, I think, some of the things we've discussed on the podcast in the past. When, when do we draw a line? And there, there's some good legal decisions that have been made. I think I've mentioned it on the, the, podcast before the Bentley old number one case where they there's actually been a book written about it but when do we draw the line on what is an original car and merely a replica or a reproduction and the honesty behind that because when this 54 is done very very few pieces of that car are going to be the original pieces that hold the provenance or pedigree of that race car the panels the chassis they're not going to be the panels and the chassis and the pieces that actually witnessed history they're going to be modern recreations modern replicas of that sheet so when do we draw a line because you know this car is going to get restored and it's going to going to be the 1954 ferrari mondial 500 spider that carries this provenance but is it really and how does that fit into this hop? Well, I can sit here and say I wasn't present, but I heard the stories and I knew the I knew every party involved. But a few years ago, a contingent from the museum went to Pebble Beach uh, during the Ferrari GTO 50th reunion, about 2012 or so. And they had, you know, a billion dollars worth of Ferrari GT, which is probably five cars. <laughs> it was like 20 cars or so. And... John Surtees, the Formula One driver for Ferrari in the mid-60s, walked down and looked at every single one of those cars, and he said every single one of them is better than when it left the factory, no matter what the condition is. And this is a guy who was there. This is a guy that was given these cars for free to race. He knew what he was looking at. I mean, granted, he had 50 years of age on him, and but to sit there and say they're better than what they look new, we're playing with these values that are approaching nine figures. I think we've only had one car sell for in the nine figure, but I don't think we're too long, too far away from starting to see more and more cars sell in the nine figures that aren't aren't real. We see these crashes from historic races all over the, the world and people go, oh, that's a 15 or $17 million car that just got destroyed. They go, oh, they can build it back because it's been built back. 18 times over its life. Every panel on it's already been replaced. There's nothing original left on a lot of these cars. And then we've made rules where you can race, if you own the original, you can race the replica. I don't want to see the replica race. I mean, it's it's cheating. On this Mondial, I wanted to look, um, kind of look up some things before the news gets buried. And God only knows what a Ferrari Mondial is worth, a 54 Ferrari Mondial is worth as a whole car. Um, in 2019, a 54 Ferrari Mondial uh, reached or sold for $4.15 million. In today's world, that's probably an 8 to $10 million car now. So buying oh. this car, for, huh? Easily. Yeah. Buying this car for 1.8, it's exactly what you said. They bought the provenance. They did not buy what was there. Now they can build whatever build whatever they want from scratch and say, okay, it's this car. It's not. It's a 2023 reproduction. It's no different than the D-types Jaguar made a few years, a few years ago off the line. Yeah, they whatever it was, they built 10 or 15. I think, you know, it's it's part of what gets so frustrating in the hobby. I joke, but it's true. There's certain museums that all they are is full of replicas. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're kit car museum. Now, maybe not exactly kit car, but they're home built museums. They're not showing the real products. But then again, it looks like the hobby's accepting of these real products to relive a day that is long gone because these objects have been restored. Then on the flip side, there I've mentioned before, I'm I've got a collector friend who's got a car that the history was pretty well known until somebody got pissed off about it, and then that person started to badmouth the car and was just kind of just pre-internet, and now his car's basically so controversial nobody will touch it, nobody will come look at it, nobody will come appraise it, no auction house wants to even run it. It's just way too controversial, even though. All the documentation 
is right there up until the mid 80s. And a guy, a guy agreed to buy it, never came up with the money. The owner sold it to somebody else. And that guy that never, quote, came up with the money got all pissed off. And since he was an expert, started to badmouth the car that this is why I didn't buy it. This is why I didn't buy it. And I've advised one person not to buy it. I would have advised this person not to buy it, but they weren't a client of mine at the time. It's just, it's really a boys club, not to be sexist, but. No, but it is, it is. You're right. I mean, it is, it is an, I always refer to it as the old boys club, right? Cause you got to get that old part in there. Uh, in my opinion, it really does become a problem because we're seeing it more and more where fewer and fewer people are controlling what's going on in the hobby. At least, let's say at least at the higher end. Maybe we need to clarify that this some of this is higher end. I mean, in the Model T world, in the you know um, 1950s American mass production collector car hobby, I don't think there's as as much of the issues that we see. Right? I mean, you know, people collecting their 1958 four door Biscaynes aren't complaining about whether a car is real or fake because it's, you know, a mass produced car that some family owned and it's been moved around. Even with the value of those, there are people and companies trying to control where the value of those are headed. I know you, I don't know if that's what you're about to say, but that is happening. Go ahead. You're you're discounting these cars, but they're they're not. There are a lot of Chevrolet 210s that have been converted to two-door hardtops are conver- convertibles because there's yeah, not then, enough of the real ones. Yeah. And Bel Air. They, they are taking the lesser cars and making them the newer car. I mean, I was involved with a restoration where the Chrysler 300C, where the only thing out of that 300C that came in the door of the body that went back out was the firewall. We drilled the spot welds, lifted the firewall off, put a basically a New Yorker under it, put it back on, made it a two-door, and, you know, when it all said and done, the 300C was too far gone to save. You got to let these things die. Just because you want one and you don't want to pay retail price for one doesn't mean take something and fake it and then pass it off as real. But I don't even think the lower side is immune. I mean... I'll I'll give you that. I doubt if there's people... I doubt if there's people faking Chevettes, but then again, there's certain Chevettes that are worth more than other Chevettes. Hey, hey, leave leave my vet out of this, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I looked at the uh, the uh, Woody Chevette a few years ago, which at the time was selling for so ended up selling for just over five grand at the time that a good Chevette was selling for twenty five hundred or three because it was one of five hundred of these quote Woody Chevettes, which means it was white with the vinyl graphics on the side from nineteen seventy six. But if I had a good 1976 Chevette, why not paint it white, put the white vinyl graphics on it? There's no VIN number that's going to identify this. People do it with, um, well, I just saw, it just sold this week. There was a 23 window bus that auction estimates were 150 to 180 and ended up selling for like 86,000. Photographed great, looked great. But the article I read on it, this guy had all the down and dirty photos. It was it wasn't even worth eighty six, and it wasn't even sure it was a real twenty three window. Mm-hmm. So I mean, even air cooled Volkswagens. <laughs> uh, granted, buses or VW buses are an uh, anomaly of their own, but it's just. I mean, I guess I listen to a podcast Seinfeld's on quite often. There's a reason. Seinfeld's paying so much money for some of everybody knows he collects Porsches. He loves Volkswagens too. He just kind of loves that whole thing. He's paying serious, serious money for Beatles, but he's paying the serious money for Beatles that have all the history that are not faked that have, you know, a continued timeline. And he's very selective on what he buys. I mean, he's got his quirks, but he, you know, he's careful on what he chooses. And then, of course, everybody goes, well, Seinfeld paid $78,000 for this XXX VW bug. I've got one of those. I'll make it look like Seinfeld. I mean, the Barber Museum had a really, really nice 66 Beetle. 66? I think it was 66. It was the 
one year the 1200 cc first year the disc wheels that had uh that were vented and things like that and it had every option but it had every option installed on it when it was restored the roof rack the interior sub dashboard baskets and stuff the car never came with is that right is that wrong it wasn't marketed that it came with everything i mean the guy restored it drove it donated it so he wasn't out in it for a buck but you know if the the museum ever parts with it who's to say two or three people down the road start don't start selling this thing as you know this very rare fully equipped beetle it's i said to you uh before the show you know the the hobby is just stressful and to it's i'm not i'm not even going to say the hobby life is just so (laughs) stressful and messed up i mean you can't job hunt without worrying about every job application that you're su- uh, submitting is giving up all of your personal information and then you find out it's fraud. Mm-hmm. You can't have a conversation on the internet without almost messaging the guy and then texting the guy and then calling the guy to make sure that the guy that you originally messaged was the guy that you originally messaged. Oh, and don't don't forget to send and, the uh, six-digit code that they're looking Yes, you know, yeah, two-factor authentic- <laughs> authentication. We all we all have that. You know, what what's what's the first six digits of your social security number? Not the last four, but what's the first six? You know, yeah. It's well, and it's it's funny, John, because it's frustrating. I've, I've recently had multiple like within the last exactly these things have come up in conversation multiple times, as you say, in my general life, but it does. It all revolves around how difficult life is starting to get, and I don't know why we're headed the way we are with all these difficulties, but a, a very good friend of mine, a mentor, uh, someone John knows very well, a big Model T guy. We've talked about him on the show. Maybe one day we'll actually get him on the show. He's a fairly private guy, but he may come on and talk with us. Get him with his old ribbon microphone. and <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> His tube his, ampli- tube, tube amplifier yeah. flip maybe a flip phone anyway. Uh, he was we we text occasionally and or well regularly I shouldn't say occasionally regularly we text send you know what's going on in life all this but he just tries to go down to the local cruise night at the park every Thursday and even he said it he's like you you can't go there without having non non automotive related conversations have to come up and the you know the the thought process out of it is like look this is for for a lot of people and yes there are those of us john myself many many others that have a career in this field but it is also a hobby of ours to have our own vehicle to go do things and it's meant to be an ex an escape from life, right? We're going to meet with like-minded people that enjoy the automobile, its history, and driving it. But you show up to one of these events, and yeah, somebody might come over and and look at your car and say, oh, great car, you know, this is cool, blah, blah, blah. And then it immediately has to turn to something political or something related to, you know, EVs or something, and, and, and it becomes something more than an enjoyable experience to escape the realities of life, which is to me what a hobby is supposed to be. You're you're you have a hobby because you want to escape real life for a short amount of time and have fun doing something that brings you joy and pleasure. And it is becoming harder and harder to do that. Now, we recently did the episode on Are We Jaded? And it's kind of, I used, when I first moved to Birmingham, I got involved with a group of car guys. And you go to lunch and people would always go, why are you guys going to lunch where you went? Because these are people drive the hyper cars and exotics and everything. Why are you going to this place that, you know, steaks are less than 20 bucks 10 years ago, 12 years ago? And it was fun because you would go there and you knew every single person here had a good career. But you never talked about your job. You never talked about work. We were there. We talked about car. We might talk about TV or something. But work and life was put aside. And then people, I want to say, basically, we got a younger group started to come come and hang out with us. And then the conversations were, well, I'm thinking about getting into X business, and I know you're into it. And, and all of a sudden, it started to become business conversation. Where did your money come from conversation? And then 
no offense, wives started to come and then it started to become family gatherings and it took away from the the event. Now, I'm unusual. I don't have kids. I've never wanted kids. So I actually have a book um, called um, Why I Hate Other People's Children. So I maybe the family thing, I, I get a little too sensitive, but it became that way. And then that establishment ended up closing. So this group just kind of rolled into another event that was happening. And then all of a sudden, instead of being at this nice, good click of 20 people that had very good conversations, it became 100 people. And the same question was asked 18 times and then asked 18 times over 12 weeks, you know, 18 times per week over 12 weeks. It just got so frustrating. And, you know, I went to an event recently to see if I, you know, could slip back into this. And I'm going to. Um, I think I figured some of this out. But I've also noticed this group has created their own section of the event where they disappear now. They don't hang out. <laughs> so maybe that club is getting back to being cars and not giving business advice and being a you know a small business seminar every week because they wanted to escape. To, to be able to afford a Lamborghini Aventadors takes a lot of work. I don't care if you're a rapper. I don't care if you're a DJ. I don't care if you're a TV entertainer. I don't care if you're a real estate mogul. It takes a lot of work. Uh, even the guy that wins a billion dollars in the lottery, it still takes a lot of work. You know, you're handed the money, but it still takes a lot of work to manage that money and make sure you don't go broke. You want to escape that. And you're looking for a way to escape that. And cars were always that for me. And granted, making your hobby, your career is the worst thing you could ever do. Um, you will not be happy for the rest of your life. You just have to learn to compartmentalize certain aspects of it. And people always respected me. I mean, I would get the question, what's going on at the racetrack? Which, that's car related. I could answer that. But nobody dove deep into anything. If they knew they wanted to dive deep, they'd send me an email, give me a phone call. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in, John. I want to I want to stop right there. Hold your thought. Because that's, to me, that's, and that's exactly where my mind is going as you're talking, is, you know, it's it's great to see the new generations join in, start coming up in the, the groups and the clubs and getting involved. And, you know, even, even for me, I guess, you know, you said, you know, the family thing, when families start showing up. As, as long as you keep the focus where it's supposed to be. I mean, I grew up, my dad took me to car stuff, you know, and I was, I was that young kid showing up at stuff. And there were a few others, but not many. But even I knew as a young kid that it was there, we were there to enjoy the cars. We were there to enjoy the like-minded hobby that everyone was involved in and just escape for a while. Look at the cars, enjoy the cars, enjoy talking about what people were working on. And as long as you keep that focus where it needs to be and people have a good time, it's great. And if you, you know, there's a gentleman we've had on the podcast, Tony Watley, you know, great car guy, great business guy, you know, even, you know, he, he promotes, you know, get involved in things because it's going to make connections. It's going to build your network. But he even says, if you listen to him and, and read his you know, writings and, and different things that he puts out, it creates a network that you're going to use in your career. He doesn't say, you know, you you go to these events and and only talk about business and and how you're going to move forward and this this this. He even talks about yes, it builds a network that you can use, but he doesn't promote you know going there and just talking business 100% of the time. And I think that's an important thing to remember is yes, you might be there meeting new people, enjoying a hobby. And it does create connections and networks, but don't muddy the waters of the hobby you're there to enjoy with business. Like you just said, John, send them an email later. You know, get their contact info. Say, hey, I'd love to talk to you sometime outside of this. And then send them an email. Hey, it was great meeting you this weekend. Uh, really had fun talking about cars and stuff and didn't want to, you know, didn't want to get into it while we were there enjoying that time. But I'd love to meet with you and talk about you know, 
what you do in life because it's what I do and and you know let's let's network and make a connection. But that person's there. That person is probably there to try to get away from what you know daily life gives them. So try to respect that. And and like you said, John, people know when you went somewhere, when I go somewhere, a lot of people know what I do, where I've worked, where I work now. And so yeah, they're interested in questions. And it's okay because some of it's car related and you know, especially with the lane, there's so many oddball cars people want to talk about. Oh, I just read you guys got, you know, survival or whatever. What's going on? Okay, that's that's car related. I don't have to get into the nitty gritty of it. Just keep it keep it related to cars. Don't start bringing in outside business information because it's not what people are there for. Sorry, I just No, it makes perfect sense where you're at is it's the world we live in today, and it's all a product of this got to have it now, got to take opportunity, can't wait, um, looking for the fastest path from A to B. Things take time. You brought up Tony Watley. He talks about you know his career and how he built up. I mean, where he's at today is a decision he made in 1999, and it took him 24 years to get where he's at now commanding the dollars he he requires to coach to consult to i mean he's not a cheap person to hire to get a little bit of his his brain and i think it's take the car group again people go and they go oh i got an opportunity to talk to so and so so they take that opportunity because they want it now they want to get their questions answered now instead of Nurturing that relationship over time and then being able to send that email, like you said, and say, hey, I want to chat with you. Um, I had a friend and that's how our friendship developed. We went from cars and everything to he became a, you know, kind of a business consultant for me. Uh, I always say kind of a mentor. Uh, we had plans. He had some exciting business opportunities. He had opportunities for the podcast, but unfortunately he got sick and died really quickly. Uh, I mean, really quickly. And it left, it's left a void for a while for me. And it's taken a little bit of time to figure out a direction because I relied a lot on his, you know, our Sunday morning breakfasts. And I'm to the point now where I've drafted one or two emails to various people that I've nurtured these relationships with over time. I know what they can bring to the table. I know their personnel. I feel, you know, there's certain people I know that they're not going to take as much time as I feel I need. There are other people that probably give too much. But I'm now to the point I could use the advice. I could use the help. And when I go ask them for help, they know I'm honestly asking them for the help and not asking them for, hey, what's the fastest path to get here so that I can have such or can I have a million dollars so that I can start start a business? Listening to a show the other day, and guy got a letter came in the well got a letter in the mail. wasn't to him, wasn't to his address, wasn't even an address in his state. So he looked up the guy, and the guy was a billionaire. And eventually, he he read the letter. I mean, he had opened it and everything, and it was basically, "My name is so and so. I'm from New York City. I want to start a business. Please send me five million dollars to this address." Um, can I do that? Can I send every billionaire a letter asking for $5 million and with no information about the business? I mean, am I starting a strip club? Am I starting the next, you know, brain implant company? Am I starting the new next electric car company? I don't know, but Hey, just send me $5 million. You know what? $5 million. I can almost make myself a business and I'll pay myself for the rest of the life to ensure my enjoyment. It's just take your time, respect, people's hobby. I mean, you go to the gun range, you shoot guns, you converse about guns. You don't necessarily dive in, you know, business comes up as things. I mean, that's why people golf, you know, more business deals are made on the golf course than anywhere else, but it's kind of a known and you're making an arrangement. You're making an appointment to go golfing with, you're making an arrangement to go shooting with cars are different because you put, go to a parking lot and it's anybody's invited. And anybody can walk up. And I don't know, is there another hobby that is kind of as open? I mean, you oh, go water skiing, question. you know, the people on the boat and that. You go parachuting, you or with, you know, it's just not people wandering up 
all the time parachuting. Maybe. Every event you go to with your car. Maybe. Hell, even going to the gas station. Yeah, but maybe boating. Maybe, you know, maybe boating because, you know, they, yeah, you're out there on your own with people. But a lot of times, you know, if you're, if you're not a fisherman, let's, let's not go to, you know, fishing from the boat. But if you're just out for leisure on a boat, say pontoons or something like that, I know there's a lot of places where people will just randomly pull up next to each other and hang out and get to know each other. So probably just not on as large of a scale as a, you know, car show or a cruise night or cars and coffee. But I've never thought about that, John. That's that's very interesting that it's probably one of the few hobbies where you show up to an event, right? Cars and coffee or cruise night or a car show. And anybody that has a car, at least on the ones the lower scale, right? We're not talking the concours here, Pebble Beach Amelia. You got to be invited to those. They're special, uh, you know, but I can't think of another hobby where that happens, where you just show up and, and there's a hundred or a thousand people that show up that are all into cars. You can't even just exclude Amelia, Pebble, any of those, because you, I mean, you, you don't even need a car to go to a car show. You Uber there. You could Uber to Pebble, pay the $500 ticket. Right. You know, if you had your if you had your ticket and go in and guess what? For five hundred bucks, how many billionaires do you get the opportunity to talk to? How many celebrities do you get the opportunity to talk to? And if you're there to manipulate and make yourself important, five hundred dollars is nothing. Even if you bought a scalp ticket for five grand, it's nothing. Uh, I know the quail. I think I heard tickets were being scalped for ten thousand dollars a piece. It's a lot of money. But if you're going to go there to network. You know, a week with Tony Watley is going to be 10 grand, 10 grand. You get three hours with every billionaire in in the car hobby and c- celebrities. I mean, you'll have Bruce Meyer there. You'll have your auto executives there. You'll, I know Corolla would be there. You know, um, you have the opportunity to if you wanted to try to manipulate. But guess what? You go you go in and you approach these people. You're hurting their interest in the hobby. It's also why the quail, I think, came into existence, because it was a place for these people to get away from the people pestering them at Pebble. It was just kind of a retreat. Now, is it a retreat when it sells out in 10 minutes and then people are scalping the tickets? Um, Luftacult, which is a once a year Porsche event that gets its design for photography. And they invite special Porsches and the way they say it. it's just apps. It's probably the best thought out car show in the world. They are doing whatever they can to prevent scalping of their tickets because, the, you know, it all of a sudden became popular three or four years ago. And now everybody wants to go because it's full of all of these Porsche people. And th- when the tickets are getting scalped, I think that's when you're finding the people are infiltrating that don't necessarily need to be there. And. I think the whole idea behind this episode is the hobby's fun or the hobby used to be fun. And I'm not discouraging people from coming to car events or if you're not a car person and you're exploring the hobby, come to the events, but come to the events with the right thought. You know, don't don't show up to try to make your, you know, instant business contact or your instant whatever. I mean... I hang out with all these exotic people and exotic car people. John, granted, when, I, that. when I started, when I started doing that, I had my caterer and, you know, had my Porsches and stuff. You know, I got rid of all that stuff and I still would go to lunch and be driving my SHO or be driving my fusion. It wasn't, it didn't matter. You know, the car brought you together. It's the people that keep you coming back. And unfortunately, People are buying the car to get into the group and then they're running the people away because they're not there because they bought the car as a ticket, as an entry into that life with no care about that life. They're looking for the next step. If I buy a Porsche Targa, I can go hang out with these people and park with these people and talk to these people. I don't give a damn I've got a Porsche Target. I don't care. I'm paying four grand a month on the lease payment or whatever. It, you know, we had the episode a few weeks ago, Are We Jaded? We had an episode about a year ago about getting burnout in the hobby. And I'm just finding it 
I enjoy the hobby. I enjoy cars. I enjoy sitting here reading the news. I enjoy seeing a Ferrari Mondial chassis sit sell for $1.6 million. <laughs> and you go, what the hell are they going to do with it? And having the debates, um, are the, they kit cars or are they not? We kind of changed two different directions. In the beginning, we were that way. Now we're kind of, the people are ruining the hobby because they're not there for the right reasons. Going back to that Mondial, the guy that bought it, he might be buying it to get into a concours or a club because now he's he's financing his $10 million Mondial, is what I call it. He lays out a million and a half dollars. He buys, that's his down payment. Now he gets the car restored and he gets a bill for $50,000 a month until he's, you know, it's paid off or until the restoration's done. And now he's got a ticket into every major concours from Pebble Beach to Cavallino to you know, special drives, these guys with these 10, 20, $50 million Ferraris, the Ferrari GTO, the 250 GTO group, it's, they, they have their own club. Every owner knows each of uh, each other. Um, you know, there's 24 people or something in the group because some of these people own one or two or three Ferrari GTOs that 30 to 60 million each. And they decide to go on drives and then they ship all their cars to this exotic locale, and then they all go on a drive together because they get to go on a drive together. They don't have to go to the Cavalino or the Ferrari North of America, uh, Ferrari Club of America meet that anybody can kind of wander into and get accosted about their lifestyle, their spending habits, their flagrant disregard. You know how many, you know, it's the, the kind of the Corvette joke is you know, how many people you could feed for what that Corvette cost? And you can sit down there and go, yeah, this is what it fed. You can even do that with a Ferrari GTO is, you know, how many people could you fed for that $60 million? You got the auction company, you've got the finance company, you got the people that restore it, you got the people that maintain it. It may not be the na same number of people and stuff that the Corvette breaks down, but they just don't want to have to answer that question. They don't need to. I want the hobby to be fun again. That's what No Driving Gloves is here for. You know, we address these problems. We seem to bitch every week and we hate <laughs> that we come on here and bitch, but there nobody gets on and really complains. We talked about one or two people before the show. You know, are you in it for the money? And you know, there's a certain podcaster that complains he really doesn't like doing certain aspects of his job anymore because he loses money doing. It. Well, the fact you lose money here helps you here, you know. You got to lose money. It's an investment somewhere else. Uh, you know, Derek and I don't. Well, I don't. Derek loses time. I actually lose money because I put up <laughs> put up hey, a lot of the expenses. As they say, John, this. time yeah. is money, so I'm losing. Yeah, Derek. You know, every you know, we don't make any money at this. We would like to make money at this. Uh, you know, buy us a coffee or buy us a gallon of gas. At, you know, buyusacoffee.com. Go to our website. You can click through and you know, chip in a couple of dollars and. You know, that that helps. But, you know, we do it right now for fun. There might be some advertising in the future if we get lucky. You've, you've said a couple things that I want to touch on. And, yeah, one of those big ones, and I'm going to say this and possibly cause a stir or possibly not, depending on who's listening. But the problem I, I see is that there are people, organizations out there that are trying to do and use a word that you used which is trying to create this lifestyle brand around the automobile. And as soon as the collector automobile, and as soon as, in my opinion, and my thought process here, is that as soon as you try to create it as a lifestyle, that lifestyle brings everything into it, right? My lifestyle is my job, my career, my family, my everything, right? Everything that's going on. That's, that's your lifestyle, okay? And so if you try to make the collector car hobby a lifestyle, as some people are, you bring all of that into the fold. You no longer have a hobby. A hobby is distinctly different from your lifestyle. And that is what tends to be happening. And more is there are these places pushing to make this a lifestyle. And all that means is they realize that that's their business and that's where they're making their money. So the way to make more money is to force everybody to do this. And 
it's it's going to and it already is starting to ruin the collector car hobby by turning it and pushing it as a lifestyle. You said the word lifestyle many and times. I figured out the other hobby that you can do this with is cigars. Only 3% of the population smokes cigars. A good percentage of the population drives cars. But in states that it's legal to have a cigar lounge, and you probably can get into hookah and maybe even where marijuana is legalized. I don't know. I don't partake in those. I partake in cigars. There's lounges, and you can hang out in these lounges and sit down and discuss and a lot of this is sitting down and discussing business or discussing. But I notice a lot of the conversations are not. They're just sitting there bullshitting and complaining. I mean, you discuss the cigar a little bit. The cigar brings you there for the conversation. But you either are complaining about this sporting event or this contractor that, you know, messed up this. But it's anybody that can come in and pay that price of admission. You buy the cigar, sit down, This, you know have your conversation. And if you don't want to have those conversations, you buy your cigar, you go home and you smoke it on your deck. And I guess that's the only hobby I've been able to come up with that might even have that relation because, but I guess you even, when you sit down to smoke your cigar, you're always prepared to talk a little bit about your business and yourself because it's kind of like golf. I mean, cigars go with golf. I don't so know are, if you, are you, are you swinging to say that we should talk about other stuff. And I guess it, it, we should we should probably clarify. I mean, I'm not I don't think either I don't think neither John or I are sitting here saying that there's not going to be other conversations when you're at Cars and Coffee, a cruise night or some event because you're going to you're going to talk a little bit about like John said, you know, uh, we're going to talk about some work we're having done at the house or you know, something's going to naturally come into the discussion but try to keep it i'm losing the word i'm looking uh you know just try to keep it natural don't don't force things don't you know again don't try to make like business connections and make money and get advice and that's what draws away from the hobby and and makes people want to uh, does that make sense john you see where i'm going here yeah you want people to come and and I guess, yeah, we really said you know, we'll talk cars. You don't have to talk cars, but don't come with an end goal in mind. And that's what I see so often is I have an end goal where I want to achieve this by hanging out with these people. You're not coming there because you're a car person. You're coming there because you want to, you know, achieve something. And it's a, come up and talk family, talk the kids, you know, talk about your last vacation. But... Don't come up and say, oh, wow, that's a cool car. How'd you get that? How much money do you? How'd you make that money? Ooh, can I have a job? That I, I have seen that conversation repeatedly. And that's not why that person's there. On the, I do know a guy that he, the only reason he had his car was so that he could come and hang out with these. And this guy actually was a car guy and enjoyed hanging out with the. But he has sold off all of his cars because he doesn't enjoy this new group of people that always would come up and ask him, hey, can I have a ride in your helicopter? Hey, how did you get a helicopter? How did you get your helicopter license? Hey, you know, why did you get rid of X car for this car? Why did you? You can ask that question, but it's there. There you can always tell the ones that are asking it out of serious interest. I want to be a helicopter pilot. I'd love to have. Or oh, you've got a helicopter. Oh, you, well, that was neat. How did you get that? How did you get that? And you know what? Over general conversation and just hanging out with this dude for years, he, um, I learned a lot of business stuff from him and things I never thought of. But did I ever once ask him for business advice? Did I ever once ask him what he did for a living? Did I ever once steer the conversation? No, it just came up in conversation. Hey, uh, he was telling me about a vacation. And, you know, he he and his wife went somewhere and it cost them like a total of $300 out of pocket, including first class airfare on Delta to France the lodging in France, et cetera, et cetera, because of his credit card points. And then he told me how he gets so many credit card points and that he's not even paying his credit card bill. Somebody else is paying the credit card bill. It was an amazing conversation to have to learn all these little tricks. Uh, takes money to make money. I mean, 
I can't do it. No, no, nobody else is going to pay my American Express bill right now. But it was an aspect of business that I had never even considered. And in turn, this guy made probably an extra hundred or $200,000 on the, this transaction because of something he did. I guess it's, again, my opinion and my thought process that the hobby, and I'm going to keep stressing the word hobby, not necessarily lifestyle, business, or anything else like that, but the hobby is truly about making meaningful, long-lasting relationships with people that have similar interests. And that's really, I think, what it needs to boil down to. You become, you know, a and 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 it does happen. I mean, I see it. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about some events that I go to, one coming up in a few weeks, Old Car Festival, and you see it. Everybody's there, you know, somewhere between 700 and 900 cars pre-1932. So everybody participating is there because of a like interest. And even though there's 700 to 900 cars there, and that's, you know, let's average it at two people per car. I mean, you're looking at 1,500 people being there just with cars that have an interest in cars, not counting all the visitors that Greenfield Village is seeing because they want to come see this mass of cars all together in one place. But you don't get a chance to talk to everybody. You know, as, as a car owner that's there, you don't have an opportunity to talk to every other car owner. It's just too many people. But what happens over the years is you find your group. Right, you find this meaningful connection between certain people and and they become this group that spends time together that weekend. And yes, do they know each other outside of, of the the event? Sure, they've become lifelong friends. But while they're there, it is all about what's going on. It's about the experience of old car festival, getting together, enjoying the weekend, having your cars out. And and really, I mean, a number of them, everybody's riding in everybody else's car or driving somebody else's car, right? I go there and I have a, a group of people that I spend most of the time with. And yeah, we're hanging out and out for a ride in one of the cars and somebody might pull over and say, hey, you know what? It's your turn to drive. Hop in and, and drive my car. Okay, cool. You know, and it, it's a trust, right? That you know what you're doing to be able to drive there. But it's that those meaningful relationships, I think, that that come out of a hobby and you make these friends. And and like you're saying, John, it's it's long term. And outside of those events, you learn who the people are and you might talk about other, you know, business things, other life things. You know, you get close enough and yeah, you're gonna talk to somebody else about what's going on maybe in your life because you've now become such good friends that you're a confidant. And, you know, oh man, you know, I'm just, I'm really struggling this month and this is going on and this, and it might not have anything to do with cars, but there's a shared passion behind it where you've become. So I think it is, it's, it's about those meaningful, long lasting. Did we accomplish anything this morning or did we just vent? Well, the other thing that I was going to say is that, you know, a little bit ago, you said we hate coming up complaining and sounding like all we're doing is being negative, but until somebody or some people start talking about this and pointing out what the issues are in the hobby that are starting to drive people away. It's just like when we've talked about, you know, going to a, a car event and not shunning the young kids that show up with their JDM cars and, you know, the cars they like today, because that's just going to drive them away. You know, if if the if the classic car, 1950s, 60s era guys are over here and the muscle car guys are over here and the JDM kids are over here and they're all complaining about each other, then we're losing the hobby. You know, it's 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 not going to push forward as one group of people that are passionate about cars overall. And it's the same thing. If if somebody doesn't stand up and talk about that, and if somebody doesn't stand up and talk about the issues we talked about today, where there's this, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm losing the word I'm looking for, but there's just this divergence of, you know, what's going on in the car hobby, then it's never going to change. Will there always be a business side to this? Yes. But can we keep it somewhat separate from the hobby activities that everyone's trying to, I think, would be the question. I think the thing is, the way I'll, I'll conclude, I liked your summary, but it's okay to conduct business events. 
but don't with that. That's the only reason you're coming. The cars bring you together. The people keep you coming back. Just because you have the car doesn't mean you're always going to get invited back if you become that annoying person who's always there asking for something and wanting something. And I don't care if the person you're asking is the dead broke podcaster or the multimillionaire media mogul. You have to be there for the right reasons. And if you're there for the right reasons, things happen. I guess it goes back to, I look at the number of extremely wealthy people I know. I would probably say 60 to 80% of them did not set off to be as wealthy as they are. They set off to have a comfortable living and maybe try to achieve a few extra. They accidentally get to, you know, being able to have 28 cars cost six figures. It's, it accidentally happens more often than it's, I'm doing this strategic thing, this strategic thing, this strategic thing. It does work for some people, but I think it works for fewer people than those that just, just happens for. I could be wrong. I judge people. That's where I'm going to leave it. We're a little bit into this and... I don't know if we ended up actually covering, well, we covered topics. I'll just. Yeah. And I want to hear what our listeners think. Go to our social medias. Let us know your thoughts on this, what you think about the hobby, where it's headed. And if you agree or disagree with us, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with us, but that's what No Driving Glyphs is about. Opinions, thoughts, and discussion. Yeah. We'll tell you why you're wrong. Exactly. (laughs) Facebook's best place to get us. We're trying to get better on Instagram. And of course, uh, the website is always the clearinghouse for all kind of nation at nodrivinggloves.com and email us at producer at no driving. But that's going to be it for this episode. We thank everybody for joining us. Tell a friend or maybe in this case, tell that annoying person that's bothering you at the car show. Listen to this episode. That's your piece of advice you give them. I'm out of here. Guess Derek. I already left. This show was a part of the No Driving Gloves Network, produced and edited by John Viviani of Magic City Podcast, with voice work by Gary Conger. So until the next exit...